CD6. It was dawn. Sergeant Doppelpunkt, who was one half of the city's official watch, and the largest half, awoke with a snort in the tiny office by the main gates. He got dressed a little unsteadily and washed his face in the stone sink, peering at himself in the scrap of mirror hanging on the wall. He stopped. There was a faint but desperate squeaking sound, and then the little grill over the plug hole was pushed aside and a rat plunged out. It was big and grey, and it ran up his arm before leaping onto the floor. Water dripping from his face, Sergeant Doppelpunkt watched as three smaller rats erupted from the pipe and chased after it. It turned to fight in the middle of the floor, but the small rats hit it together from three sides at once. There was a brief struggle, a screech, and then the big rat was dead. There was an old rat hole in the wall. Two of the rats grabbed the tail and dragged the body into the hole and out of sight. But the third rat stopped at the hole and turned, standing up on its hind legs. The sergeant felt it was staring at him. It didn't look like an animal watching a human to see if it was dangerous. The rats didn't look scared, merely curious. It had some kind of red blob on its head, the sergeant noticed. Then it saluted him. It was definitely a salute, even though it only took a second. Then all the rats had gone. The sergeant stared at the hole for some time, and then he heard the singing. It was drifting up from the sink's plug hole, and it echoed a lot, as if it was coming from a long way away. We fight dogs and we chase cats. Ain't no trap can stop the rats. Got no plague and got no fleas. We drink poison, we steal cheese. Mess with us and you will see. We'll put poison in your tea. Here we fight and here we'll stay. We will never go away. The sound faded. Sergeant Doppelpunkt blinked and looked at the bottle of beer he'd drunk last night. He thought it would probably be a good idea not to mention this to anyone. It probably hadn't happened. The guardhouse door opened and Corporal Knopf stepped in. "'Morning, Sergeant,' he began. "'It's that. What's up with you?' "'Nothing, Corporal,' said Doppelpunkt quickly, wiping his face. "'I certainly haven't seen anything strange at all. Why are you standing around? Time to get those gates open, Corporal.' The watchman stepped out and swung open the city gates, and the sunlight streamed through. It brought with it a long, long shadow. Oh dear, thought Sergeant Doppelpunkt, this is not going to be a nice day. The man on horseback rode past them without a glance and on into the town square. The guards hurried after him. People aren't supposed to ignore people with weapons. Out! What is your business here? demanded Corporal Knopf. But he had to run crabwise to keep up with the horse. The rider was dressed in white and black like a magpie. He didn't answer, but just smiled faintly to himself. All right, maybe you haven't any actual business, but it won't cost you anything just to say who you are, will it? said Corporal Knopf, who was not interested in any trouble. The rider looked down at him and then stared ahead again. Sergeant Doppelpunkt spotted a small covered wagon coming through the gates, drawn by a donkey which was accompanied by an old man. He was a sergeant, he told himself, which meant that he was paid more than the corporal, which meant that he thought more expensive thoughts. And this one was... They didn't have to check everyone that came through the gates, did they? Especially if they were busy. They had to pick people at random. And if you were going to pick people at random, it was a good idea to randomly pick a little old man looking small enough and old enough to be frightened of a rather grubby uniform with rusty chain mail. Halt! <laughs> Not gonna, said the old man. Mind the donkey can give you a nasty bite when he's roused. Not that I care. 
"'Are you trying to show contempt of the law?' demanded Sergeant Doppelpunkt. "'Well, I'm not trying to conceal it, mister. "'You want to make something of it, you talk to my boss. "'That's him on the horse, the big horse.' The black-and-white stranger had dismounted by the fountain in the centre of the square and was opening his saddlebags. "'I'll just go and talk to him, shall I?' said the sergeant. By the time he'd reached the stranger, walking as slowly as he dared, the man had propped a small mirror against the fountain and was having a shave. Corporal Knopf was watching him. He'd been given the horse to hold. "'Why haven't you arrested him?' the sergeant whispered. "'What, for illegal shaving? Tell you what, sergeant, you do it.' Sergeant Doppelpunkt cleared his throat. A few early risers amongst the population were already watching him. "'Er, uh, no, listen, friend, I'm sure you didn't mean,' he began. The man straightened up and gave the guards a look which made both men take a step backwards. He reached out and undid the thong holding the thick roll of leather behind the saddle. It unrolled. Corporal Knopf whistled. All down the length of leather, held in place by straps, were dozens of pipes— they glistened in the rising sun. "'Oh, you're the pape!' the sergeant began, but the other man turned back to the mirror and said, as if talking to his reflection, "'Where can a man get a breakfast around here?' "'Oh, if it's breakfast you want, then Mrs. Shover at the blue cabbage will—' "'Sausages,' said the piper, still shaving, "'burned on one side. Three. Here. Ten minutes. Where is the mare?' "'If you go down that street and take the first lift, fetch him.' "'Here, you can't,' the sergeant began, but Corporal Knopf grabbed his arm and pulled him away. "'He's a piper,' he hissed. "'You don't mess with the piper. Don't you know about him? If he blows the right note on his pipes, your legs will fall off.' "'What, like the plague?' "'They say that in pork scratchants the council didn't pay him, and he played his special pipe "'but led all the kids up into the mountains, "'and they was never seen again.' "'Good. Do you think he'd do that here? "'The place would be a lot quieter.' "'Ha! Did you ever hear about that place in Clatch? "'They hired him to get rid of a plague of my martists, "'and when they didn't pay up, "'he made all the town's watchmen dance into the river and drown.' "'No. Did he? The devil,' said Sergeant Doppelpunkt. Three hundred dollars he charges. Did you know that? Three hundred dollars?' "'We'd better get going, Sarge,' said Corporal Knopf. "'You get the sausages, and I'll get some air.' "'No, Knopf. You get the sausages, and I'll get some air, "'cause the mare's free, and Mrs. Shover will want paying.' The mare was already up when the sergeant arrived, and wandering around the house with a worried expression. He looked more worried when the sergeant arrived. "'What's she done this time?' he said. "'Sir?' said the watchman. "'Sir,' like that, meant, "'What are you talking about?' "'Malicia hasn't been home all night,' said the mayor. "'So you think something might have happened to her, sir?' "'No, I think she might have happened to someone, man. "'I remember last month when she tracked down the mysterious headless horseman.' "'Well, you must admit he was a horseman, sir.' "'That is true, but he was also a short man with a very high collar. "'And he was the chief tax-gatherer from Mintz. "'I'm still getting official letters about it.' "'Tax-gatherers do not, as a rule, like young ladies dropping on them out of trees. "'And then, in September, there was that business about the... 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 the, the mystery of smugglers' windmill, sir,' "'said the sergeant, rolling his eyes. 
which turned out to be Mr. Vogel, the town clerk, and Mrs. Schumann, the shoemaker's wife, who happened to be there merely because of their shared interest in studying the habits of barn owls. And Mr. Vogel had his trousers off because he torn them on a nail, said the sergeant, not looking at the mare. Which Mrs. Schumann was very kindly repairing for him, said the mare, not looking at the sergeant. Bay moonlight, said the sergeant. "'She happens to have very good eyesight,' snapped the mare. "'And she didn't deserve to be bound and gagged along with Mr. Vogel, "'who caught quite a chill as a result. "'I had complaints from him and from her, "'and from Mrs. Vogel, and from Mr. Schumann, "'and from Mr. Vogel after Mr. Schumann went round to his house "'and hit him with a last, "'and from Mrs. Schumann after Mrs. Vogel called her a... "'A last what, sir?' said the sergeant. "'What? "'Hit him with a last what?' The mayor stared at the sergeant's honest but puzzled expression. "'At last, men,' he said, "'it's a kind of wooden foot shoemaker's yours when they're making shoes. Heaven knows what Malicia's doing this time.' I "'Expect we'll find out when we hear the bang, sir.' "'And what was it you wanted me for, sergeant?' Uh, "'The red papers here, sir.' The mayor went pale. "'Already?' he said. "'Yes, sir. He's having a shave in the fountain.' "'Where's my official chain?' said the mayor, staring around wildly. "'My official robe! My official hat! Quick, man, help me!' "'He looks like quite a slow shaver, sir,' said the sergeant, following the mayor out of the room at a run. "'Over in Klotz the mayor kept the pipe of waiting too long, "'and he played his pipe and turned him into a badger!' said the mayor, flinging open a cupboard. "'Ah, here they are. Help me on with them, willow!' When they arrived in the town square, out of breath, the piper was sitting on a bench, surrounded at a safe distance by a very large crowd. He was examining half a sausage on the end of a fork. Corporal Knopf was standing next to him like a schoolboy who has turned in a nasty piece of work and is waiting to be told exactly how bad it is. "'And this is called a... the piper was saying. "'A sausage, sir,' Corporal Knopf muttered. "'This is what you think is a sausage here, is it?' There was a gasp from the crowd. Bart Blintz was very proud of its traditional Volan pork sausages. "'Yes, sir,' said Corporal Knopf. "'Amazing,' said the piper. He looked up at the mayor. "'And you are?' "'I am the mayor of this town, and—' The piper held up a hand, and then nodded towards the old man who was sitting on his cart, grinning broadly. "'My agent will deal with you,' he said. He threw away the sausage, put his feet up on the other end of the bench— pulled his hat down over his eyes and lay back. The mayor went red in the face. Sergeant Doppelpunkt leaned towards him. "'Remember the badger, sir?' he whispered. "'Ah, yes.' The mayor, with what little dignity he had left, walked over to the cart. "'I believe the fee for ridding the town of rats will be three hundred dollars,' he said. "'Then I expect you'll believe anything,' said the old man. He glanced at a footnote on his knee. "'Let's see, uh, call-out fee, plus special charge because it's St. Prodnitz's Day, plus pipe tax. Looks like a medium-sized town, so that's extra wear and tear on cart. Travelling costs at dollar a mile. Miscellaneous expenses, taxes, charges.' He looked up. "'Tell you what, let's say $1,000, OK?' One thousand dollars? We haven't got one thousand dollars. That's outright Badger, sir, hissed Sergeant Doppelpunkt. You can't pay, said the old man. 
We don't have that kind of money. We've had to spend a lot of money bringing in food. You don't have any money? said the old man. Nothing like that amount, no. The old man scratched his chin. Hmm, he said. I can see where that's going to be a bit difficult because... Ooh, let's see. He scribbled in his notebook for a moment and then looked up. You already owe us $467.19 for call-out, travel and miscellaneous sundries. What? He hasn't blown a note. Ah, oh, but he's ready too, said the old man. We've come all this way. You can't pay. Bit what they call an imp arse, then. He's got to lead something out of town, you see. Otherwise the news will get round and no one will show him any respect. And if you haven't got respect, what have you got? If a piper doesn't have respect, he's... Rubbish, said a voice. I think he's rubbish. The piper raised the brim of his hat. The crowd in front of Keith parted in a hurry. Yeah, said the piper. I don't think he can pipe up even one rat, said Keith. He's just a fraud and a bully. Ha! I bet I can pipe up more rats than him. Some of the people in the crowd began to creep away. No one wanted to be around when the rat piper lost his temper. The piper swung his boots down onto the ground and pushed his hat back on his head. You're a rat piper, kid, he said softly. Keith stuck out his chin defiantly. Yes, and don't call me kid, old man. The piper grinned. Ah, he said, I knew I was going to like this place. And you can make a rat dance, can you, kid? More than you can, piper. Sounds like a challenge to me, said the piper. The piper doesn't accept challenges from... The old man on the cart began, but the rat piper waved him into silence. You know, kid, he said, this isn't the first time some kid has tried this. I'm walking down the street and someone yells, Go for your piccolo, mister. And I turn around, and it's always a kid like you with a stupid-looking face. Now, I don't want anyone to say I'm an unfair man, kid. So, if you just care to apologise, you might walk away from here with the same number of legs you started with. You're frightened! Melissa stepped out of the crowd. The piper grinned at her, and then stopped grinning. Melissa could do that to people. Yeah, he said. Yes, because everyone knows what happens at a time like this. Let me ask this stupid-looking kid, who I've never seen before. Are you an orphan? Yes, said Keith. Do you know nothing about your background at all? No. Aha, said Melissa. That proves it. We all know what happens when a mysterious orphan turns up and challenges someone big and powerful, don't we? It's like being the third and youngest son of a king. He can't help but win. She looked triumphantly at the crowd. But the crowd looked doubtful. They hadn't read as many stories as Melissa, and were rather more attached to the experience of real life, which is that when someone small and righteous takes on someone big and nasty, he is grilled bread product very quickly. However, someone at the back shouted, Give the stupid-looking kid a chance. At least it'll be cheaper. And someone else shouted, Yeah, that's right. And someone else shouted, I agree with the other two. And no one seemed to notice that all the voices came from near ground level and were associated with the progress around the crowd of a scruffy-looking cat with half its fur missing. Instead, there was a general murmuring, no real words, nothing that would get anyone into trouble if the piper turned nasty, but a muttering indicating, in a general sense, without wishing to cause umbrage, and seeing everyone's point of view, and taking one thing with another, and all things being equal, that people would like to see the boy given a chance, if it's all right with you, no offence meant. The piper shrugged. 
Fine, he said. It'll be something to talk about, and when I win, what will I get? The mayor coughed. Uh, is a daughter's hand in marriage usual in these circumstances? He said. She has very good teeth and would make a good uh, a wife for anyone with plenty of free wall space. Father, said Melissa. Uh, later on, uh, later on, obviously, he is unpleasant, but he is rich. No, I'll just take my payment, said the piper. One way or another. And I said we can't afford it, said the mayor. And I said one way or the other, said the piper. And you, kid? You're rat pipe, said Keith. No, it's magic, kid. Then why are you scared to bet it? The piper narrowed his eyes. Scared? No. OK, kid, the rat pipe, he said. And the town must let me solve its rat problem, said Keith. And how much will you charge? said the mayor. Thirty gold pieces, thirty gold pieces, go on, say it, shouted the voice at the back of the crowd. No, it won't cost you a thing, said Keith. Idiot, shouted the voice in the crowd. People looked around, puzzled. Nothing at all, said the mayor. No, nothing. Uh, the hand in marriage thing is still an offer if you... Father... No, that only happens in stories, said Keith. And I shall also bring back a lot of the food that the rats stole. They ate it, said the mayor. What are you going to do, stick your fingers down their throats? I said that I'll solve your rat problem, said Keith. Agreed, Mr. Mayor? Well, if you're not charging. But first I shall need to borrow a pipe, Keith went on. You haven't got one, said the mayor. It got broken. Corporal Knopf nudged the mayor. I've got a trombone when I was in the army, he said. It won't take a mow to nip and get it. The rat piper burst out laughing. Doesn't that count? said the mayor, as Corporal Knopf hurried off. What? A trombone for charming rats? No, no, let him try. Can't blame a kid for trying. Good with a trombone, are you? I don't know, said Keith. What do you mean you don't know? I mean I never played one. I'd be a lot happier with a flute, trumpet, piccolo, trombone, or lanka bagpipe, but I've seen people playing the trombone, and it doesn't look too difficult. It's only an overgrown trumpet, really. Huh, said the piper. This I'd like to see, but not here. The watchman came running back, rubbing a battered trombone with his sleeve and therefore making it just a bit more grimy. Keith took it, wiped the mouthpiece, put it to his mouth, pressed the keys a few times, and then blew one long note. Seems to work, he said. "'I expect I can learn as I go along.' He gave the rat piper a brief smile. "'Do you want to go first? "'You won't charm one rat with that mess, kid,' said the piper. "'But I'm glad I'm here to see you try.' Keith gave him a smile again, took a breath and played. There was a tune there. The instrument squeaked and wheezed because Corporal Knopf had occasionally used the thing as a hammer, but there was a tune quite fast, almost jaunting. You could tap your feet to it. Someone tapped their feet to it. Sardines emerged from a crack in a nearby wall, going, One, two, three, four, under his breath. The crowds watched him dance ferociously across the cobbles until he disappeared into a drain. Then they broke into applause. The piper looked at Keith. Did that one have a hat on? he said. I didn't notice, said Keith. Your go. The piper pulled a short length of pipe from inside his jacket. He took another length from his pocket and slotted it into place on the first piece. It went click in a military kind of way. 
Still watching Keith and still grinning, the piper took a mouthpiece from his top pocket and screwed it into the rest of the pipe with another very final click. Then he put it to his mouth and played. From her lookout on the roof, Big Savings shouted down a drainpipe, Now! Then she pushed two lumps of cotton wool in her ears. At the bottom of the pipe, In Brine shouted into a drain, No! And then he too snatched up his earplugs. Oh, oh, oh! echoed through the pipes. Now! shouted Dark Tan in the room of cages. He rammed some straw onto the end of the pipe. Everyone block their ears! They'd done their best with the cages. Melissa had brought blankets and the rest had spent a feverish hour blocking up holes in mud. They'd done their best to feed the prisoners properly too. Even though they were only kikis, it was heartbreaking to see them cower so desperately. Dark Tan turned to nourishing. Got your ears blocked, he said. Pardon? Good. Dark Tan picked up two lumps of cotton wool. The silly sounding girl better be right about this stuff, he said. I don't think many of us have got any strength left to dance. The piper blew again, and then stared at his pipe. Just one rat, said Keith, helpfully. Anywhere you like. No rush. The piper glared at him and blew again. I can't hear anything, said the mayor. Humans can't, muttered the piper. Perhaps it's broken, said Keith, helpfully. The piper tried again. There was murmuring from the crowd. You've done something, he hissed. Oh, yes, said Melissa loudly. What could he have done? Told the rats to stay underground with their ears blocked up? The murmuring turned into muffled laughter. The piper tried one more time. Keith felt the hair stand up on the back of his neck. A rat emerged. It moved slowly across the cobbles, bouncing from side to side, until it reached the piper's feet, where it fell over and started making a whirring noise. People's mouths fell open. It was Mr. Clicky. The piper nudged it with his foot. The clockwork rat rolled over a few times, and then its spring, as a result of months of being punished in traps, gave up. There was a poing and a brief shower of cogwheels. The crowd burst out laughing. Hmm, said the piper. And this time the look he gave Keith was shaded with grudging admiration. Okay, kid, he said. Shall you and I have a little talk? Piper to piper, over by the fountain. Provided people can see us, said Keith. You don't trust me, kid. Of course not, the piper grinned. Good. You've got the makings of a piper. I can see that. Over by the fountain, he sat down with his booted legs in front of him and held out the pipe. It was bronze, with a raised pattern of brass rats on it, and it glinted in the sunlight. Here, said the piper, take it. It's a good one. I've got plenty of others. Go on, take it. I'd like to hear you play it. Keith looked at it uncertainly, turning it over and over in his hands. It's all trickery, kid said the piper, as the pipe shone like a sunbeam. See the little slider there? Move it down, and the pipe plays a special note humans can't hear. Rats can. Sends them nuts. They come rushing out of the ground, and you drive them into the river, just like a sheepdog. That's all there is to it, said Keith. You were expecting something more? Well, yes. They say you turn people into badgers, and lead children into magic caves, and... The piper leaned forward conspiratorially. It always pays to advertise, kid. Sometimes these little towns can be pretty slow when it comes to parting with the cash. Cause the thing about turning people into badgers and all the rest of that stuff is this. It never happens round here. Most of the people in these mountains never go more than ten miles away in their lives. They'll believe just about anything could happen fifty miles away. 
Once the story gets around, it does your work for you. Half the things people say I've done, even I didn't make up. Tell me, said Keith, have you ever met someone called Morris? 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 I don't think so. Amazing, said Keith. He took the pipe and gave the piper a long, slow stare. And now, piper, he said, I think you're going to lead the rats out of town. It's going to be the most impressive job you've ever done. Eh? What? You won, kid. You'll lead out the rats because that's how it should go, said Keith, polishing the pipe on his sleeve. Why do you charge us a lot? Because I give them a show, said the piper. The fancy clothes, the bullying, charging a lot is part of the whole thing. You've got to give them magic, kid. Let him think you're just a fancy rat catcher and you'll be lucky to get a cheese lunch and a warm handshake. We'll do it together, and the rats will follow us. Really follow us into the river. Don't bother about the trick note. This will be even better. It'll be... It'll be a great story, said Keith. And you'll get your money. Three hundred dollars, wasn't it? But you'll settle for half because I'm helping you. What are you playing at, kid? I told you, you won. Everyone wins, trust me. They called you in, they should pay the piper. Besides, Keith smiled, I don't want people to think pipers shouldn't get paid, do I? And I thought you were just a stupid-looking kid, said the piper. What kind of a deal have you got with the rats? You wouldn't believe it, piper. You wouldn't believe it. Inbrine scurried through the tunnels, scrabbled through the mud and straw that had been used to block the last one, and jumped into the cage room. The clan rats unblocked their ears when they saw him. He's doing it, said Darktan. Yes, sir, right now. Darktan looked up at the cages. The key keys were more subdued now that the rat king was dead and they'd been fed. But by the smell of it, they were desperate to leave this place. And rats in a panic will follow other rats. OK, he said. Runners, get ready. Open the cages. Make sure they're following you. Go, go, go. And that was almost the end of the story. How the crowd yelled when rats erupted from every hole and drain. How they cheered when both pipers danced out of the town with the rats racing along behind them. How they whistled when the rats plunged off the bridge into the river. They didn't notice that some rats stayed on the bridge, urging the others along with shouts of Remember, strong regular strokes, and There's a nice beach just downstream, and Hit the water feet first, it won't hurt so much. Even if they had noticed, they probably wouldn't have said anything. Details like that don't fit in and the big piper danced off over the hills and never, ever came back. There was general applause. It had been a good show, everyone agreed, even if it had been expensive. It was definitely something to tell the children. The stupid-looking kid, the one that had duelled with the piper, strolled back into the square. He got a round of applause too. It was turning out to be a good day all round. People wondered if they'd have to have extra children to make room for all the stories but they realised they'd have enough to say for the grandchildren when the other rats arrived. They were suddenly there, pouring up out of the drains and gutters and cracks. They didn't squeak, and they weren't running. They sat there, watching everyone. "'Here, Piper!' shouted the mayor. "'You missed some!' "'No, we're not the rats who follow Pipers,' said a voice. "'We're the rats you have to deal with.' The mayor looked down. A rat was standing by his boots, looking up at him. It appeared to be holding a sword. Father said Melissa, suddenly behind him. It would be a good idea to listen to this rat. But it's a rat! He knows, father, and he knows how to get your money back, and a lot of the food, and where to find some of the people who've been stealing food from you. But he's a rat! 
Yes, father, but if you talk to him properly, he can help us. The mayor stared at the assembled ranks of the clan. We should talk to rats, he said. It would be a very good idea, father. But they're rats! The mayor seemed to be trying to hold on to this thought, as if it was a life belt on a stormy sea, and he'd drown if he let go of it. Excuse me, excuse me, said a voice from beside him. He looked down this time at a dirty, half-scorched cat, which grinned at him. Did that cat just speak? said the mayor. Morris looked around. Which one? he said. You! Did you just talk? Would you feel better if I said no? said Morris. But cats can't talk? Well, I can't promise that I could give you a, you know, full-length after-dinner speech, and don't ask me to do a comic monologue, said Morris, and I can't pronounce difficult words like marmalade and lumbago, but I'm pretty happy with basic repartee and simple wholesome conversation. Speaking as a cat, I'd like to hear what the rat says. Uh, Mr. Mayor, said Keith, strolling up and twirling the new rat pipe in his fingers, don't you think it's time I sorted out your rat problem once and for all? Sort it out, but all you have to do is talk to them. Get your town council together and talk to them. It's up to you, Mr. Mayor. You can yell and shout and call out the dogs and people can run around and fight at the rats with a broom and, yes, they'll run away. But they won't run far and they'll come back. When he was standing next to the bewildered man, he leaned towards him and whispered, And they live under your floorboard, sir. They know how to use fire. They know all about poison. Oh, yes. So, listen to this rat. Is it threatening us? said the mayor, looking down at Dark Tan. No, Mr. Mayor, said Dark Tan. I'm offering you, he glanced at Morris, who nodded, a wonderful opportunity. You really can talk? You can think? said the mayor. Dark Tan looked up at him. It had been a long night. He didn't want to remember any of it, and now it was going to be a longer, harder day. He took a deep breath. Here's what I suggest, he said. You pretend that rats can think, and I'll promise to pretend that humans can think too. Chapter 12 Well done, Ratty Rupert, cried the animals of Fairy Bottom. From Mr Bunsey Has an Adventure. The crowd clustered into the council hall. Most of it had to stay outside, craning over other people's heads to see what was going on. The town council was crammed around one end of their long table. A dozen or so of the senior rats were crouched at the other end. And in the middle was Morris. He was suddenly there, leaping up from the floor. Hopwick, the clockmaker, glared at the other members of the council. "'Are we talking to rats?' he snapped, trying to make himself heard above the hubbub. We'll be a laughingstock if this gets out. The town that talked to its rats, can't you just see it? Rats aren't there to be spoken to, said Ralphman the bootmaker, prodding the mare with a finger. A mare who knew this business would send for the rat catchers. According to my daughter, they are locked in a cellar, said the mare. He stared at the finger. Locked in by your talking rats, said Ralphman. Locked in by my daughter, said the mayor calmly. Take your finger away, Mr. Alfman. She's taken the watchman down there. She's making very serious allegations, Mr. Alfman. She says there's a lot of food stored under their shed. She says they've been stealing it and selling it to the river traders. 
The head rat catcher is your brother-in-law, isn't he, Mr. Rolfman? I remember you were very keen to see him appointed, weren't you? There was a commotion outside. Sergeant Doppelpunkt pushed his way through, grinning broadly, and laid a big sausage on the table. One sausage is hardly theft, said Rolfman. There was rather more commotion in the crowd, which parted to reveal what was, strictly speaking, a very slowly moving Corporal Knopf. This fact only became clear, though, when he'd been stripped of three bags of grain, eight strings of sausages, a barrel of pickled beetroot and fifteen cabbages. Sergeant Doppelpunkt saluted smartly, to the sound of muffled swearing and falling cabbages. "'Requesting permission to take six men to help us to bring up the rest of the stuff, sir,' he said, beaming happily. "'There are the rat-catchers,' said the mayor. "'In deep trouble, sir,' said the sergeant. "'I asked them if they wanted to come out, "'but they said they'd like to stay in there a bit longer, "'thanks all the same, "'although they'd like a drink of water and some fresh trousers.' "'Was that all they said?' "'Sergeant Doppelpunkt pulled out his notebook. "'No, sir, they said quite a lot. "'They were crying, actually.' They said they'd confess to everything in exchange for fresh trousers. Also, sir, there was this. Another watchman came in, carrying a heavy box, which he thumped down onto the polished table. Acting on information received from a rat, sir, V took a look under one of the floorboards in their shed. There must have been more than four hundred dollars in it, ill-gotten gain, sir. You got information from a rat? The sergeant pulled sardines out of his pocket. The rat was eating a biscuit, but he raised his hat politely. "'Isn't that a bit unhygienic?' said the mayor. "'No, Gavi's washed his hands,' said Sardines. "'I was talking to the sergeant!' "'He's a nice little chap, sir, very clean,' said Sergeant Doppelpunkt. "'Reminds me of an emster I used to have when I was a lad, sir.' "'Well, thank you, sergeant. Well done. Uh, please go on.' "'His name was Horace.' added the sergeant helpfully. Uh, thank you, sergeant, and now does me good to see the little cheeks bulging with grub again, sir. Thank you, sergeant. When the sergeant had left, the mayor turned and stared at Mr. Ralphman. The man had the grace to look embarrassed. I hardly know the man, he said hurriedly. He's just somebody my sister married, that's all. I hardly ever see him. I quite understand, said the mayor, and I've no intention of asking the sergeant to go and search your larder and he gave another little smile, and a sniff, and added, "'Yet. Now, where were we?' "'I was about to tell you a story,' said Morris. The town council stared at him. "'Und your name is?' said the mayor, who was feeling in quite a good mood now. "'Morris,' said Morris. "'I'm a freelance negotiator style of thing. I can see it's difficult for you to talk to rats, but humans like talking to cats, right?' "'Like him, Dick Livingstone?' said Hopwick, the clockmaker. "'Yeah, right, him, yeah, and...' Morris began. "'And uh, pushing boots,' said Corporal Knopf. "'Yeah, right, just like in books,' said Morris, scowling. "'Anyway, cats can talk to rats, OK, and I'm going to tell you a story. But first, I'm going to tell you that my clients, the rats, will all leave this town if you want them to, and they won't come back.' Ever. The humans stared at him. So did the rats. Will we? said Darktan. Will they? said the mayor. Yes, said Morris. And now 
I'm going to tell you a story about the lucky town. I don't know its name yet. Let's suppose my clients leave here and move downriver, shall we? There are lots of towns on this river, I'll be bound. And somewhere there's a town that'll say, Why, we can do a deal with the rats. And that will be a very lucky town, because then there'll be rules, see? Uh, not exactly, no, said the mayor. Well, in this lucky town, right, a lady making, as it might be, a tray of cakes, well, all she'll need to do is shout down the nearest rat hole and say, Good morning, rats, there's one cake for you. I'll be much obliged if and you didn't touch the rest of them. And the rats will say, Right you are, missus, no problem at all. And then, Are you saying we should bribe the rats? said the mayor. Cheaper than pipers. Cheaper than rat catchers, said Morris. Anyway, it'll be wages. Wages for what, I hear you cry. Did I cry that? said the mayor. You were going to, said Morris. And I was going to tell you that it'll be wages for vermin control. What? But rats are ver... Don't say it, said Doc Ten. Vermin like cockroaches, said Morris smoothly. I can see you've got a lot of them here. Can they talk? said the mayor. Now he had the slightly hunted expression of anyone who'd been talked at by Morris for any length of time. It said, I'm going where I don't want to go, but I don't know how to get off. No, said Morris, nor can the mice, nor can normal, nor can other rats. Well, vermin will be a thing of the past in that lucky town, because its new rats will be like a police force. Why, the clan will guard your larders. Sorry, I mean the larders in that town. No rat catchers required. Think of the savings. But that'll only be the start. The woodcarvers will be getting richer too in a lucky town. How? said Houtman, the woodcarver, sharply. Because the rats will be working for them, said Morris. They have to gnaw all the time to wear their teeth down, so they might as well be making cuckoo clocks. And the clockmakers will be doing well too. Why? said Hopwick, the clockmaker. Tiny little paws, very good with little springs and things, said Morris. And then... Uh, would they just do cuckoo clocks, or could they do other stuff, said Houtman. And then there's the whole tourism aspect, said Morris. For example, the rat clock. You know that clock they got in Bionk, in the town square? Little figures come out every quarter of an hour and bang the bells. Kling, bong, bang, bing, klong, bong. Very popular. You can get postcards and everything. Big attraction. People come a long way just to stand there waiting for it. So what you're saying, said the clockmaker, is that if we, that is, if the lucky town had a special big clock and rats, people might come to see it. And stand around waiting for up to a quarter of an hour, said someone. A perfect time to buy tooth-crafted models of the clock, said the clockmaker, at very reasonable prices. People began to think about this. Mugs with rats on, said the potter. Hand-gnawed souvenir wooden plates, said Hauptmann. Cuddly toy rats, rats on a stick. Dark Tan took a deep breath. Morris said quickly, a good idea made of toffee, naturally. He glanced towards Keith. And I expect the town would want to employ its very own rat piper even, you know, for ceremonial purposes. Have your picture drawn with the official rat piper and his rat sort of thing? Any chance of a small theatre? said a little voice. 
Dark Tan spun round. Sardines, he said. Well, Gov, I thought if everyone was getting in on the act, Sardines protested. Morris, we ought to talk about this, said Dangerous Beans, tugging at the cat's leg. Excuse me a moment, said Morris, giving the mayor a quick grin. I need to consult with my clients. Of course, he added. I'm talking about the lucky town, which won't be this one, because, of course, when my clients move out, some new rats will move in. There are always more rats, and they won't talk, and they won't have rules, and they'll whittle in the cream, and you'll have to find some new rat catchers, ones you can trust, and you won't have as much money, because everyone will be going to the other town. Just a thought. He marched down the table and turned to the rats. I was doing so well, he said. You could be on ten percent, you know. Your face is on mugs everything. And this is what we fought for all night, spacked Dark Tan. To be pets. Morris, this isn't right, said Dangerous Beans. Surely it is better to appeal to the common bond between intelligent species than... I don't know about intelligent species. We're dealing with humans here, said Morris. Do you know about wars? Very popular with humans. They fight other humans, not hugely big on common bonding. Yes, but we are not. Now listen, said Morris. Ten minutes ago, these people thought you were pests. Now they think you're useful. Who knows what I can make them think if you give me half an hour? You want us to work for them, said Dark Tan. We've won our place here. You'll be working for yourself, said Morris. Look. These people aren't philosophers. They're just every day. They don't understand about the tunnels. This is a market town. You've got to approach them in the right way. Anyway, you will keep other rats away, and you won't go around whittling in the jam, so you might as well get thanked for it. He tried again. There's going to be a lot of shouting, right, yeah? And then sooner or later you have to talk. He saw the bewilderment still glazing their eyes and turned to sardines in desperation. Help me, he said. He's right, boss. You've got to give him a show, said Sardines, dancing a few steps nervously. They'll laugh at us, said Dark Tan. Better laugh than scream, boss. It's a start. You've got to dance, boss. You can think and you can fight, but the world's always moving, and if you want to stay ahead, you've got to dance. He raised his hat and twirled his cane. On the other side of the room, a couple of humans saw him and chuckled. See? he said. I'd hoped there was an island somewhere, said Dangerous Beans, a place where rats could really be rats. And we've seen where that leads, said Dark Tan. And you know, I don't think there's any wonderful islands in the distance for people like us. Not for us, he sighed. If there's a wonderful island anywhere, it's here. But I'm not intending to dance. Figure of speech, boss. Figure of speech, said Sardines, hopping from one foot to the other. There was a thump from the other end of the table. The mayor, who had been arguing with some of the councillors, had hit it with his fist. "'We've got to be practical!' he shouted. "'How much worse off can we be? "'They can talk. "'I'm not going to go all through this again, understand? "'We've got food. "'We've got a lot of money back. "'We survived the piper. "'These are lucky rats!' "'The figures of Keith and Melissa loomed over them. "'It sounds as if my father's coming round to the idea,' said Melissa. "'What about you?' "'Discussions are continuing,' said Morris.' Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, uh, look, look, Morris told me where to look, and I found this in the tunnel, said Melissa. She put something down on the table. Pages were stuck together. 
and they were all stained, but it was still recognisable as Mr Bunsey has an adventure. I had to lift up a lot of drain gratings, she said. The rats looked at it. Then they looked at dangerous beans. It's Mr Flop, Peaches began. I know I can smell it, said dangerous beans. The rats all looked again at the remains of the book. It's a lie, said Peaches. Maybe it's just a pretty story, said Sardines. Yes, said Dangerous Beans. Yes. He turned his misty pink eyes to Dark Tan, who had to stop himself from stepping back, and added, Perhaps it's a map. If it was a story and not real life, then humans and rats would have shaken hands and gone on into a bright new future. But since it was real life, there had to be a contract. A war that had been going on since people first lived in houses could not end with just a happy smile. And there had to be a committee. There was so much detail to be discussed. The town council were on it, and most of the senior rats. And Morris marched up and down the table, joining in. Dark Tan sat at one end. He wanted to sleep. His wound ached, his teeth ached, and he hadn't eaten for ages. For hours the argument flowed back and forwards over his drooping head. He didn't pay attention to who was doing the talking. Most of the time it seemed to be everyone. Next item. Compulsory bells on all cats. Agreed? Can we just get back to Clause 30, Mr. Air Morris? You're saying killing a rat would be murder? Yes, of course. But it's just... Talk to the poor, mister, because the whiskers don't want to know. The cat is right, said the mayor. You're out of order, Mr. Ralphman. We've been through this. Then what about if a rat steals from me? Ahem. <clears throat> then that'll be theft, and the rat will have to go before the justices. Oh, young, said Ralphman. Peaches, I'm a rat, sir. And, uh, and the watch officers will be able to get down the rat tunnels, will they? Yes, because there will be rat officers in the watch. There'll have to be, said Morris. No problem. Really? And what does Sergeant Doppelpunkt think about that? Sergeant Doppelpunkt? Er, uh, dunno, sir. Could be all right, I suppose. I know I couldn't get down a rat hole. We've had to make the badges smaller, of course. I take it that rat watchman would only arrest rats, yes? The sergeant scratched his head. No, sir. The way I see it, they'd arrest anyone who needed arresting. What? Surely you wouldn't suggest a rat officer could be allowed to arrest a human? Oh, yes, sir, said the sergeant. What? Well, if your rat's a proper sworn-in watchman, I mean a watch rat, then you can't go around saying you're not allowed to arrest anyone bigger than you, can you? Could be useful, a rat watchman. I understand they have this trick where they run up your trouser leg. "'Gentlemen, we should move on. "'I suggest this one goes to the subcommittee.' "'Which one, sir? We've already got seventeen. "'There was a snort from one of the councillors. "'This was Mr Schlummer, who was ninety-five "'and had been peacefully asleep all morning. "'The snort meant that he was waking up. "'He stared at the other side of the table. "'His whiskers moved. "'There's a rat there,' he said, pointing. "'Look, bold as brass, a rat!' "'In a hat!' "'Yes, sir, this is a meeting to talk to the rats, sir,' said the person beside him. "'He looked down and fumbled for his glasses. 
"'What's that?' he said. He looked closer. "'Yeah,' he said. "'And, and you a rat, too?' "'Yes, sir. Name of nourishing, sir. "'We're here to talk to humans, to stop all the trouble.' "'Mr. Schlummer stared at the rat. "'Then he looked across the table at Sardines, who raised his hat. "'Then he looked at the mayor, who nodded. "'He looked at everyone again, his lips moving as he tried to sort this out. "'You're all talking?' he said at last. "'Yes, sir,' said Nourishing. "'So who's doing the listening?' he said. "'I expect that'll happen later on,' said Morris. Mr. Schlummer glared at him. "'Are you a cat?' he demanded. "'Yes, sir,' said Morris. Mr. Schlummer digested this point, too. "'I thought we used to kill rats,' he said, as if it wasn't quite certain any more. "'Yes, but you see, sir, this is the future,' said Morris. "'Is it?' said Mr. Schlummer. "'Really?' "'I always wondered when the future was going to happen. "'No, well, cats talk now, too. Well, "'Well done. Got to move with the, um, with the things that move, obviously. "'Wake me up when they bring the tea in.' "'He settled happily back in his chair, and after a while began to snore. "'Around him the arguments started again and kept going. "'A lot of people talked, some people listened. "'Occasionally they agreed.' and moved on, and argued about other things. But the piles of paper on the table grew bigger, and looked more and more official. Dark Tan realised that someone was watching him. At the other end of the table, the mayor was giving him a long, thoughtful stare. As he watched, the man leaned back and said something to a clerk, who nodded and walked around the table, past the arguing people, until he reached Dark Tan. He leaned down. "'Can you understand "'Me,' he said, pronouncing each word very carefully. "'Yes, because I'm not stupid,' said Dark Tan. "'Oh, er, uh, the mayor wonders if he can see you in his private office,' said the clerk. "'The door over there. I could help you down if you like.' "'I could bite your finger if you like,' said Dark Tan. The mayor was already walking away from the table. Dark Tan slid down and followed him. No one paid any attention to either of them. The mayor waited until Darktan's tail was out of the way and carefully shut the door. The room was small and untidy. Paper occupied most flat surfaces. Bookcases filled several of the walls. Extra books and more paper were stuffed in between the tops of the books and any space in the shelves. The mayor, moving with exaggerated delicacy, went and sat in a big, rather tatty swivel chair and looked down at Darktan. "'I'm going to get this wrong,' he said. "'I thought we should have a little talk. "'Can I pick you up? "'I mean, it'll be easier to talk to you if you were on my desk.' "'Really,' said Dark Tan. "'I might say it'd be easier to talk to you if you lay flat on the floor,' he sighed. "'He was too tired for these games. "'Look, if you put your hand flat on the floor, "'I'll stand on it and you can raise it up to the height of the desk,' he said. "'But if you try any tricks, I'll bite your thumb off.' The mayor lifted him up with extreme caution. Dark Tan hopped off into the mass of papers, empty teacups and old pens that covered the battered leather top, and stood looking up at the embarrassed man. "'Uh, do you have to do much paperwork in your job?' said the mayor. "'Peaches writes things down,' said Dark Tan bluntly. "'That's the little female rat that coughs before she speaks, isn't it?' said the mayor. "'That's right.' "'She's very definite, isn't she?' 
said the mayor, and now Dark Tan could see that he was sweating. She's rather frightening some of the councillors. Ha, 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 said Dark Tan. The mayor looked miserable. He seemed to be searching for something to say. You are uh, settling in well, he said. I spent part of last night fighting a dog in a rat pit, and then I think I was stuck in a rat trap for a while, said Dark Tan, in a voice like ice. And then there was a bit of a wall. Apart from that, I can't complain. The mayor gave him a long, worried stare. For the first time he could remember, Dark Tan felt sorry for a human. The mayor seemed to be as tired as Dark Tan felt. Look, he said, I think it might work if that's what you want to ask me. The mayor brightened up. You do, he said. There's a lot of arguing. That's why I think it might work, said Dark Tan. Men and rats arguing. You're not poisoning our cheese and we're not whittling in your jam. It's not going to be easy, but it's a start. But there's something I have to know, said the mayor. Yes? You could have poisoned our wells. You could have set fire to our houses. My daughter tells me you are very advanced. You don't owe us anything. Why didn't you? I asked myself that, too, said Dark Tan. And I told myself, what good would it do? What would we have done afterwards? Gone to another town? Gone through all this again? Would killing you have made anything better for us? Sooner or later, we'd have to talk to humans. It might as well be you. I'm glad you like us, said the mayor. Dark Tan opened his mouth to say, like you? No, we just don't hate you enough. We're not friends. But there would be no more rat pits, no more traps, no more poisons. True, he was going to have to explain to the clan what a policeman was and why rat policemen might chase rats who broke the new rules. They weren't going to like that. They weren't going to like that at all. Even a rat with the marks of the bone rat's teeth on him was going to have difficulty with that. But Morris had said, they'll do this, you'll do that. No one will lose very much and everyone will gain a lot. The town will prosper, everyone's children will grow up and suddenly it'll all be normal. And everyone likes things to be normal. They don't like to see normal things changed. It must be worth a try, thought Dark Tan. Now, I want to ask you a question, he said. You've been the leader for how long? Ten years, said the mayor. Isn't it odd? Oh, yes, oh, yes. Everyone argues with me all the time, said the mayor. Although I must say I'm expecting a little less arguing if all this works out. But it's not an easy job. It's ridiculous to have to shout all the time just to get things done, said Dark Tan. That's right, said the mayor. And everyone expects you to decide things, said Dark Tan. True. The last leader gave me some advice just before he died. And do you know what it was? Don't eat the green wobbly bit. Good advice, said the mayor. In his world, yes, said Dark Tan. But all he had to do was be big and tough and fight all the other rats that wanted to be leader. It's a bit like that with the council, said the mayor. What? said Dark Tan. You bite them in the neck? Not yet, said the mayor. But it's a tempting thought, I must say. It's just all a lot more complicated than I ever thought it would be, said Dark Tan, bewildered. To be a leader, you have to learn to shout. But after you've learned to shout, you have to learn not to. Right again, said the mayor. That's how it works. He put his hand down on the desk, palm up. May I? he said. I want to show you something. 
Dark Tan stepped aboard and kept his balance as the mayor carried him over to the window and set him down on the sill. Seas or river, said the mayor. Seas are houses. Seas are people in the straits. I have to make it work. Well, not the river, obviously, that works by itself. And every year it turns out that I haven't upset enough people for them to choose anyone else as mayor. So I have to do it again. It's a lot more complicated than I ever thought it would be. What, for you too? But you're a human, said Dark Tan, in astonishment. Ha! You think that makes it easier? I thought rats were wild and free. Ha! said Dark Tan. They both stared out of the window. Down in the square they could see Keith and Melissa walking along deep in conversation. If you like, said the mayor after a while, you could have a little desk here in my office. I'll live underground, thank you all the same, said Dark Tan, pulling himself together. Little desks are a bit too Mr Bunsey. The mayor sighed. I suppose so. Um, he looked as if he was about to share some guilty secret, and in a way he was. I did like those books when I was a boy, though. Of course, I knew it was all nonsense, but all the same it was nice to think that... Yeah, yeah, said Dark Tan. But the rabbit was stupid. Whoever heard of a rabbit talking? Oh, yes, I never liked the rabbit, said the mayor. No one likes the rabbit, said Dark Tan. It was the minor characters everyone liked, said the mayor. Ratty Rupert and Phil the Pheasant and Ollie the Snake. Oh, come on, said Dark Tan. Ollie the Snake had a collar and tie. Well? Well, how did it stay on? A snake is tube-shaped. Do you know? I never thought of it like that, said the mayor. Silly, really. He'd wriggle out of it, wouldn't he? And waistcoats on rats don't work. No? No, said Dark Tan. I tried it. Tool belts are fine, but not waistcoats. Dangerous Beans got quite upset about that, but I told him, you've got to be practical. It's just like I always tell my daughter, said the man. Stories are just stories. Life is complicated enough as it is. We have to plan for the real world. There's no room for the fantastic. Exactly, said the rat. And man and rat talked as the long light faded into the evening. A man was painting very carefully a little picture underneath the street sign that said River Street. It was a long way underneath, only just higher than the pavement, and he had to kneel down. He kept referring to a small piece of paper in his hand. The picture looked like three concentric circles followed by a short wiggly line followed by a group of small circles overlapping like a handful of pebbles. Keith laughed. What's funny? said Melissa. It's in the rat alphabet, said Keith. It says water plus fast plus stones. The streets have got cobbles on, right? So rats see them as stones. It means river street. Both languages on the street signs. Clause 193, said Melissa. That's fast. They only agreed that two hours ago. I suppose that means there will be tiny signs in human language in the rat tunnels. I hope not, said Keith. Why not? "'because rats mostly mark their tunnels by whittling on them.' "'He was impressed at the way Melissa's expression didn't change a bit. "'I can see we're all going to have to make some important mental adjustments,' "'she said thoughtfully. "'It was odd about Morris, though, after my father told him "'there were plenty of kindly old ladies in the town that would be happy to give him a home. 
"'You mean when he said, "'That wouldn't be any fun getting it that way?' said Keith. "'Yes. Do you know what he meant?' "'Sort of. He meant he's Morris,' said Keith. "'I think he had the time of his life, "'strutting up and down the table, ordering everyone around. "'He even said me and the rats could keep the money we buried. "'He said a little voice in his head told him it was really ours.' Melissa appeared to think about things for a while, and then she said, as if it wasn't very important, really, "'And, er, uh, you're staying, yes?' "'Clause nine, resident rat piper,' said Keith. "'I get an official suit that I don't have to share with anyone, a hat with a feather and a pipe allowance.' "'That will be quite satisfactory,' said Melissa. "'Um, yes?' "'When I told you that I had two sisters, uh, that wasn't entirely true,' she said. And it wasn't a lie, of course, but it was just enhanced a bit. Yes? I mean, it would be more literally true to say that I have, in fact, no sisters at all. Ah, said Keith. But I have millions of friends, of course, Melissa went on. She looked, Keith thought, absolutely miserable. That's amazing, he said. Most people just have a few dozen. Millions, said Melissa. "'Obviously, there's always room for another one.' "'Good,' said Keith. "'And uh, there's clause five, said Melissa, still looking a bit nervous. "'Oh, yes,' said Keith. "'That one puzzled everyone. "'A slap-up tea with cream buns and a medal, right?' "'Yes,' said Melissa. "'It wouldn't be properly over otherwise. "'Would you uh, join me?' Keith nodded. "'He stared around at the town.' It seemed a nice place, just the right size. A man could find a future here. Yes, he said. Yes, I think I'll stay. There's a town where, every time the clock shows a quarter of an hour, the rats come out and strike the bells. And people watch and cheer and buy the souvenir hand-gnawed mugs and plates and spoons, clocks and other things which have no use whatsoever other than to be bought and taken home. And they go into the rat museum, and they eat rat burgers, guaranteed no rat, and buy rat ears that you can wear, and buy the books of rat poetry in rat language, and say, how odd, when they see the street signs in rat, and marvel at how the whole place seems so clean. And once a day, the town's rat piper, who is rather young, plays his pipes, and the rats dance to the music, usually in a conga line. It's very popular. On special days, a little tap-dancing rat organises vast dancing spectaculars with hundreds of rats in sequins and water ballet in the fountains and elaborate sets. And there are lectures about the rat tax and how the whole system works and how the rats have a town of their own under the human town and get free use of the library and sometimes even send their young rats to the school and everyone says, how perfect, how well organised, how amazing and then most of them go back to their own towns and set their traps and put down their poisons because some minds you couldn't change with a hatchet. But a few see the world as a different place. It's not perfect, but it works. The thing about stories is that you have to pick the ones that last. And far downstream, a handsome cat, with only a few bare patches still in his fur, jumped off a barge, sauntered along the dock, and entered a large and prosperous town. It spent a few days beating up the local cats and getting the feel of the place, and, most of all, in sitting and watching. Finally, it saw what it wanted. It followed a young lad out of the city, 
He was carrying a stick over his back, on the end of which was a knotted handkerchief of the kind used by people in story circumstances to carry all their worldly goods. The cat grins to himself. If you knew their dreams, you could handle people. The cat followed the boy all the way to the first milestone along the road, where the boy sat down for a rest, and heard, "'Hey, stupid-looking kid, want to be Lord Mayor? "'Nah, down here, kid.' because some stories end, but old stories go on, and you've got to dance to the music if you want to stay ahead. The End That is the end of The Amazing Morris and His Educated Rodents. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Stephen Briggs. <laughs> <laughs>